Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast of the Wageningen Alternative Protein Project. I'm Maybrit, a master's student in food technology, and I will be your host for today. So, mm -hmm. today's episode is all about alternative seafoods. Welcome, Robin. Would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, sure. I'm Robin Simser. I'm CEO and co-founder of the company Revo Foods. We're based in Vienna, Austria, and we make plant-based seafood with new technologies, such as 3D food printing. Super cool. So let's start with a very trivial question. Um, mm. What brought you to explore seafood alternatives? What is your motive? Well, I was actually working in cultured meat before. I was doing a PhD in this field. And I saw a huge complexity with uh, scaling that up. But still, I think that alternative meats are so important for sustainable development. And especially in the oceans, it's such a such a large variety of different life forms, such a such a beautiful ecosystem. And I think it's a shame that it's getting destroyed by overfishing and and also industrial aquaculture. But there were hardly any good seafood alternatives available for people who like to eat seafood, but not uh, in this destructive way. And that's why we set out to create these alternatives. Okay, nice. Are you a vegan yourself? No, I'm a vegetarian. I'm waiting for cheese to get better. The <laughs> vegan I uh, feel you same. Um, so recently, your first product, the smoked salmon, has launched. Um, unfortunately, I haven't found it yet, but maybe it's also because Wageningen is super small here. Um, but can you I sell it in the Netherlands? Actually, already with an, uh, the Dutch online shop. Ooh, I may order it there. <laughs> Good one. Yes. Um, so, can you share an insight on how you got there? Like, how did you develop the product? Sure. So basically, we started with this idea that there's already some vegan seafood products, such as fish sticks or fish burgers, which, however, are a very limited uh, limited variety of the overall seafood market. And salmon, for example, is the most consumed fish in the world. There were hardly any good salmon alternatives out there, and there still are not. So we thought, okay, there needs to be new technologies to produce this next generation alt seafood products. And that's why we thought about 3D food printing. Because currently what is often used is extrusion technology for things such as hamburgers, for example. And it works very well for this type of unstructured meat products. But if you think about the fine structures of a salmon fillet or a tuna steak, it's very hard to imagine that this will ever be able uh, to be achieved with uh, conventional extrusion technology. So we knew we need some different approach. And 3D food printing came into handy because this is actually perfect for fully um, recreating the structure of these complex products. And along the way, we also found out that it has a lot of benefits for uh, both the texture mm. and for the nutritional value, actually. How, how does that affect the nutritional value? Can you elaborate on that? Well, for instance, extrusion technology uses quite high process parameters, such as temperature and shear force. And in this kind of 3D printing application, since you have a bit less material throughput at the same time, it's a more mild process, let's say, and the ingredients get less treated with this temperature, which leads to higher retention of vitamins, for example. Okay, makes sense. Cool. So let's assume I have zero knowledge and background on 3D printing. Could you simply explain the fundamentals of it? Sure. So basically, 3D printing works in a way that you create a cut file on a computer. So in our case, for instance, a salmon fillet 
And then you have this, uh, this machine, which makes the movement of one part, the extruder, in three different dimensions. This is the basis of 3D printing. And for us, we can produce something like a salmon fillet because we have two different ingredients, one for the orange muscle part, one for the white connective tissue part, and we can align them in a way so that then it looks perfectly like a real salmon fillet. Okay, so you basically layer different pastes. Yeah, you can think of it like this. We use pea protein, for instance, yeah. as the base for our products, as well as some algae extracts and plant oils. And the good thing with this is that you can use different ingredient formulations for the different parts of the product. So, for example, in extrusion technology, for the veggie hamburgers, for example, you add ingredients on the one side of the process, and then the product comes out at the other side. But it's really a homogeneous product, more or less. And the beauty with 3D footprinting is that you can now combine two different ingredients to a final product without them necessarily mixing everywhere. So you can have different properties there, which leads to a behavior such as for the salmon, that when you cook it, you can really uh, divide it along the lines of the, of the white fat layers when you press on it. And I think that's a functionality that, that you need to convince consumers. Yeah, definitely. I agree. <laughs> so you mentioned that you use pea protein and algae. Were these ingredients your first choices or did you first initially uh, think of other ingredients? Well, we tried all kinds of different uh, proteins, for example, also soy protein, gluten protein, chickpea protein, whatnot, you name it. We tried many, many different ones, but pea protein, I think, is a very uh, nice combination of nutritional value, affordability, and uh, consumers are already used to it because it's in quite some products. Mm. So regarding the nutritional value, are you also aiming to match the salmon to the, like the salmon alternative to the original salmon, for example, in amino acid composition or uh, fatty acids? Ideally, yes. So for example, we can claim a high protein content for our first product, which is um, a smoked salmon alternative that mm -hmm. we already sell, and a high omega-3 fatty acid content, which is actually higher <coughs> than in many, um, than in many uh, conventional aquaculture salmon products. Okay, nice. Also and vitamins, of course, things like this, and also quite clean, la uh, clean label product. We only use 12 ingredients, I believe. Oh, wow. And also no heavy metals, so kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, that's an advantage. <laughs> yeah, so we actually had our product recently lab tested. We wanted to find out like how much heavy metal is there actually in our plant-based salmon con uh, compared with salmon that we bought in the supermarket. Mm. We bought three different versions, such as wild-caught Alaska salmon, Scottish salmon, Norwegian salmon. We found out that both for heavy metals, such as mercury, mm -hmm. as well as for PCBs and dioxins, which are common uh, toxins and environmental pollutants, they were quite high in con the conventional salmon products. Well, for us, it was hardly above or below uh, the threshold of detection limit. So this is a clear benefit of the plant-based salmon. Yeah, I agree. Super nice. Like I've actually never had like a really alternative, you know, like most vegan vegetarian alternatives, I would say regarding the nutritional value are kind of a downgrade. Mm, yeah, maybe you have things like carrot salmon, which doesn't contain any protein, for example, um, and some others which which do not perform best there. I'm quite happy that we can claim a high protein content for our product. And it's 
to my knowledge, by far the highest protein content in any other salmon alternative out there. Mm -hmm. So if we circle back to the 3D printing technology, um, from what I've read online um, regarding 3D printing of food, the speed and scalability kind of exclude each other. So how did you solve this problem? Well, actually, our idea is that 3D printing in the individual unit is a bit smaller. That is correct. But if you define an automated production process where you have multiple units connected with each other, you can really achieve a high scale. And this is the game changer, I believe. Because for many industries, you would like a flexible production, which is what 3D printing, for example, is. And in this case, we can connect, let's say, 20 or 30 of these 3D printers connected with conveyor belts And each individual unit keeps producing more of a product that you like, for example, the salmon fillet. And the beauty with this is that each unit works as a plug and play mechanism. So you can remove it from the production line whenever you need it, one individual unit, but the whole production line keeps going on. That means while in the food industry, you often have significant downtimes for cleaning, servicing, repair, etc. Here, the whole production line can in theory go on Uh, almost infinitely, while you only replace individual units from the production line. Mm -hmm. And that's a game changer, I think. So what is your capacity? Like how much in, I don't know, kilograms, tens, can you produce on a busy day? Well, right now we're building up our first pilot plant. Mm -hmm. So we're still in, uh, in the upscaling mode, let's say. But once this is done, then uh, our goal is to actually produce about 100 tons of product per month initially. Oh, wow. Impressive. So are there any other technological challenges that you've encountered while developing this whole product, uh, this whole process? Yeah, millions and every day also. It's very hard to... So for instance, we build our 3D food printers ourselves mm -hmm. because there's not a lot, if any, um, available systems off the shelf. Like most food printers right now, have a very limited volume, let's say 100 ml, and then you need to refill them manually. And this is, of course, not possible in an automated production system. So we needed to figure out a way how to continuously uh, use the 3D food printers so that it has an automatic loading of new material. This was a challenge. Then also how you transport the final product forward. Uh, it's not that easy because it's quite sticky. It needs to be removed also from a conveyor belt system, but we found a solution for that. And then also the product itself, like fine-tuning with the ingredients, um, with all the oils, etc. that even after the process, it still tastes great, has good nutritional value. All of these are very hard, but we're now, I think, 35 people, approximately. Mm -hmm. Many great food scientists, many great engineers. So those are the things we're trying to solve every day. So how long did it take you in total to, like, from starting the, of having the idea to actually having a final product? Approximately two years, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was, well, the typical startup story, I think. So we had an idea. We started working on a business plan, figuring out how it can be done, made our first tests. But then it moved all quite quickly, I think, because people really recognized there's a big market for seafood alternatives. Yeah. Like there's many, many sausages or hamburger products out there yet, or chicken nugget, let's say. But seafood, it still is a much smaller market compared to many other meat alternatives. And that's why I think um, this idea spread quite well. And there's still not that many people, maybe startups or also universities, that are focusing 
on this kind of thing. So it's quite a niche topic still, but it will develop a lot further, I think. I hope so. Mm. Um, yeah, so this kind of brings me to my next question. Why are there no fish fillets yet? Are you guys working on that? Because, yeah, if I, I mean, smoked salmon is great, don't get me wrong. But, you know, imagine having like a whole fillet being able to, to have like, I don't know, 200 grams or something. Are you guys working on yeah. that? Yeah, 100%. And we actually have quite a good solution for that now already, which we'll present very soon uh, on our social media channels and on a press event. And I think this will blow people away because it really looks amazing and it tastes really, really great. So now we're working uh, fully on upscaling this product because I think this is something the market would love. Salmon filet, as you said, but also the tuna steak later on, yeah. uh, I think will be an amazing product. Yeah, and also you could solve like the textural issues, as you said, uh, like with real salmon, like I would expect an alternative to have, you know, a flaky texture and that the pieces break away when you apply pressure from your fork and I think yeah. having that kind of experience really levels it up yeah and this is how you can have real change I think because only when all your needs for food are met let's say what I said before I want cheese to be better the vegan cheese right now it's not a good substitute for me and there are some people who say for instance I really love salmon fillet there's no good substitute for me and they keep eating salmon but once we, for instance, bring out a product there, like a really great salmon filet alternative. And the same goes for all other kinds of uh, products, let's say caviar yeah. or salmon paste or whatnot. I really believe we need to recreate almost every product conceivable uh, from animals if we really want to uh, get the highest impact. Yeah. Would you also consider um, transferring to something outside of seafood? Like, for example, I don't know, chicken breast or... Uh, <laughs> beef steak yeah. well quite right now we're quite busy with seafood already and there's so many different seafood alternatives out there true so i think we'll be busy with that for a while but later who knows <laughs> so would you also consider doing like clams or mussels yeah why not i'm not <laughs> sure if 3d printing would be the best technology for that but yeah. we're Let's say not only the 3d printing company i see us also as the seafood company yeah so if we find a good um, good way to produce that then of course mm. yeah I was also asking myself like when I think of like mimicking the natural fish shape like most companies kind of try to do that right so um, whatever the alternative is kind of resembles the the thing that they're mimicking so would you also consider being you know a bit more uh, fun and uh, for example creating uh, a cube of salmon or I don't know, uh -huh. just exploring other shapes? or do yeah, you... maybe, maybe later. <laughs> I mean, the cool thing is with 3D food printing, you in theory can create something that looks like a salmon but tastes like a tuna. Yeah. Or something that's half salmon, half tuna. Or something that looks completely different or has like mixed uh, tuna flavor and chicken flavor. I don't know what. Like, <laughs> there's no limit to imagination there. And that's the cool thing because we're just starting to explore this, uh, how to create cool new products with 3D food printing. And I think that has a lot of future potential. Yeah, of course. I mean, like, breeding chicken and tuna together doesn't really work um, the natural way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, of course, flavors we didn't, never would imagine to combine. Yeah, yeah that would mm. be super cool. <laughs> um, so what is the the consumer's reaction to this type of product? I guess they really appreciate it. Can you confirm that? 
Yeah, people love it. Like we get a lot of positive feedback from people that um, have tasted it also on social media. Um, and this is really great. Like a product needs to taste great. That's the most important criteria, more yeah. important than any other, I believe. Taste needs to be right. Otherwise, it can have the best nutritional content. People will not eat it. Yeah, of Just course. And uh, so I'm very happy that we achieved this. But uh, of course, we need to learn much more about uh, what consumers love and also in different geographies. We're now in 16 countries already mm -hmm. and people have different preferences in different countries. And in the future, for sure, we need to learn more about it and fine tune it. Yeah, I see. I mean, also, I think a crucial criteria for uh, consumers is always the price. Um, and that mm. has in the past, I think, been quite a hurdle for startups. So um, I actually don't know the price of your smoked salmon because I can't buy it here <laughs> yet. Yeah. <laughs> but right now, the cheapest one is in uh, Germany at the Rewe Group, which is a supermarket where it's sold for three ninety nine for an 80 gram package. That's a bit more than 50 euro per kilogram. That's already quite competitive with many other salmon products out there. So there's some more expensive ones that are even 70, 80 euro per kilogram for the Alaska wild caught, for instance. Some a bit cheaper, like 30, 40 euro for uh, aquaculture from Norway. But we're quite in a good middle there. Mm -hmm. And do you also get subsidized by government? Because like a lot of animal-derived products uh, usually get agricultural subsidies, uh, for example, milk. And that's why also the price is considerably lower uh, than it should mm -hmm. be. Um, have you guys gotten some fun fundings or something yet? Yeah, we got some public grants here from Austria, a mm -hmm. bit more than two million actually, which is great, but we don't get subsidies such as, for instance, the seafood industry. The European Union, if I'm not wrong, spends every year, I think, two billion. Mm -hmm on fishing and aquaculture subsidies and no something like this doesn't exist yet for alternative proteins or alternative protein products which is a shame i think yeah it is indeed so do you guys also have you guys been considering other applications outside of food for example packaging or i don't know uh, leather materials um you said you're <laughs> right now focusing on seafood but is there anything yet planned Not that much. If I learned one thing, then it's you need to focus yeah. because otherwise you get caught up in a million projects and you don't do anything correctly and anything to the end. So you really need to have laser sharp focus, I think, to bring bring out a good product to the market. Now we have the first one that we released about half a year ago, and now we will release uh, another one, which is a salmon spread, actually, mm -hmm. that you can eat on a bread, on a, a bagel or something, which we bring out in about a month. And we're very excited about it. Ah. <sighs> I have to get it. <laughs> I might go back to Germany to get it. <laughs> uh, nice. So where do you see Revo in two years from now? Well, hopefully we become the biggest plant-based seafood company in the world because that's how you can have the highest impact mm -hmm. if as many people as possible can get access to your products and can have this alternative to conventional salmon. And then in the far future, hopefully not only the biggest plant-based seafood company, but the biggest seafood company in general. I think uh, there needs to be a shift. Like It cannot continue as it's happening now with overfishing, with industrial aquaculture. We need to find better ways. And I don't think it, it, um, it is with animal farming or, uh, or fishing. I think plant-based seafood needs to become better, needs to become cheaper and more available. And then at one point it can overtake conventional seafood. Yeah, it would be great if we would see that. Like, I mean, with the progress that you've made like two years ago you guys were starting to develop the smoked salmon I, and i don't think you actually uh did see you guys 
coming out that successful within two years. So yeah, I hope in two years you really achieve those goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been quite a ride and yeah, hopefully continues like it does. Um, yeah, I have two more questions I'd like to ask you. So could you imagine leasing your 3D printing uh, production sites to other companies for the production of other materials? Yeah, sure. I think 3D food printing is not only of interest for meat alternatives per se, but for all kinds of food products. So what is an issue for many large food producers is that they have very high minimum batch numbers. So they always ask you like, okay, what's your minimum order? We can only do 50 tons mm. or something like this. Otherwise, it doesn't pay off. But with 3D food printing, the cool thing is, let's say you want to produce pasta. And um, if you can personalize it, let's say, I don't know what, make... Like the Eiffel Tower or even something like only 500 kilogram of a special kind of pasta for a wedding, let's say. Right now it's impossible. With 3D food printing, you would have this flexible way of, um, of producing foods for, for individual customers. And it doesn't take longer. You don't need to take all the time to set up the machines, set up the molds, set up the dyes, set up all the things that need to be set up, which can take weeks. But here in food printing, basically, all you need to do is change a line of code yeah. and you have a different product. And I think that's the amazing thing. It will never make sense for all products. It will probably never make sense to have, I don't know, spaghetti, 3D <laughs> printed or something, because the current ways to produce it are just much more effective. But for some special applications, I think there's a big market for it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, imagine having uh, things for your wedding customized. It's kind of cool. Uh, I think it's going to yeah. level up the gift industry. <laughs> yeah, for your birthday or something. <laughs> birthday, I don't know what, Barbara. Like That would be nice, maybe. <laughs> Okay, last question. Robin, what's your favorite fish? Ooh, that's a tough question. You mean to eat or like that looks the funniest? Both, if you have. Okay, well, well to eat, hmm, I mean, tuna tastes great, but I didn't eat it for a long time because this is one of the fish that um, is really the hardest from a sustainability point of view. Mm. Like the most um, detrimental, I think, to the... Marine ecosystem, so I'd love to have a good alternative. This is something I'm really looking uh, forward to. And also maybe, I don't know, anchovies or sardines. Oh, yeah. Be nice, <laughs> I think. Uh, the funniest looking fish, well, I don't know, I'm like many people, and it's not a fish I know, but dolphins are pretty cool. And that's another point with tuna. Like, all the dolphins that get caught up there, I wish, I don't know, they could, <laughs> they could live like, and, and keep on swimming in the ocean because they're pretty cool animals. Okay, I'll that's let that count. Motivation. Yeah, I'll let that count because, I mean, they also live in salt water, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. <laughs> okay, nice, good. Well, thank you, Robin. It was a pleasure to have you here, and I hope that you achieve all your goals. I, I really wish you guys all the best. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much, and thanks for doing the podcast. Also, uh, we're constantly looking for great food scientists, food technologists, uh, process engineers, and all other kinds of people that want to make the world a bit better with alternative proteins. So, yeah, please apply. Apply for us. Uh, if you're studying in Wageningen, also great, because we know that's a good university and half our team comes from there already. <laughs>